Welcome to the Three Wins Podcast, brought to you by Legacy Advisory Partners. My name's Sean Lydon, and I'm the producer of the Three Wins. And today, Russ Clemmer, the president at Legacy, speaks with a special guest, Phil Brown, who recently retired as the head of HR at the flooring giant, Mohawk Industries. Phil offers an HR executive's perspective on how to weigh the benefits and challenges of virtual work for all stakeholders. If you find this type of content to be valuable, please hit the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app and please leave a review. This will let us know what you think and also help others find the three wins. Thank you so much. Now, on to this next episode of the Three Wins Podcast. Welcome back to the Three Wins Podcast. My name is Russ Clemmer. I'm with Legacy Advisory Partners. We're doing part two today of uh, the virtual works paradigm shift that we've been seeing, the challenges and benefits for stakeholders. And it's an interesting discussion. If you caught part one with Jim Robinson, that was a great discussion. I encourage you to go and check that video out. But what we're talking about is with the advancements of technology, many companies have been working in this, working towards this virtual opportunity. But now everybody's been forced to think about it because of the pandemic. You've been, you've been forced to consider it at least. And, and for many companies, it's not a consideration. You just got to work on site. Some were already heavy in the virtual capabilities, but there are a lot of companies that are kind of in the middle, that hybrid model and their HR folks, their finance folks, different people, their managers, they're not really sure about how to respond. What's the go forward? What are the questions that we need to be thinking about? What are the right questions? What's the timing for some of this? And so we appreciate Phil Brown, recently retired and coming on the show with us today. Phil Brown is a good friend of Legacy, a very talented leader, expansive career in the human resources area. And we appreciate you, Phil, coming on the show. Looking forward to hearing some of your perspectives, some of your best practices, some of your some of the encouragement you can give to our listeners who are facing some of these problems. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Russ. It's a pleasure. So, you know, we've got this, this paradigm shift. And, and again, it's kind of these three buckets. Companies that have, that have you know, they looked at it and as fast as they could, they got back into the office, they got back into the field, they got back into the workplace. As many of their folks as they could. Uh, they just can't do it any other way. Uh, then you've got the folks who were either already mostly virtual or all the positions that could be virtual, they've already taken care of that. They've already run that process, the troubleshooting and gotten comfortable with that reality and they're able to go forward. But then you've got these companies that are just, they're not sure what to do. Does this change our culture? Does this impact uh, our hiring practice, our location of talent? All the different uh, questions that could be coming to mind, the, the compensation, what we talked about with Jim last time. And so that's what we really want to go through today with you. But first, tell us a little bit about uh, your leadership career uh, and, and some of the things you're, you're focusing on now in, in more of a consulting role. It's a pleasure, Russ. So um, I spent a career in three different manufacturing companies. Uh, spent a lot of years with Goodyear Time Rubber Company. I started in manufacturing management, got into uh, human resources, spent time 
as leader of organizational development. So I worked with a lot of leaders managing change in their organization, restructuring organizations. Um, I went to work for then a small electronics manufacturing company out of Europe, uh, mm-hmm. ran their uh, North American business or America's business, uh, spent a lot of time in uh, Central and South America. And then for the last 13 years, I was head of human resources for Mohawk Industries. And Mohawk Industries is a $10 billion um, the world's largest foreign manufacturer with about 40,000 employees, about half in the U.S. and half outside. So the thing about Mohawk is uh, it grew through acquisitions. Mm-hmm. So we spent a lot of time in integrating new businesses into the Mohawk organization. And our philosophy was let's don't disrupt the culture of the entity that we're purchasing. Let's bring it into the organization, but let's don't force it into a common culture. So that created some different strategies to better integrate and balance and learn from the strengths of each. So I'd say, as I look back over my career, I've had a lot of experience in managing all functions and human resources, uh, but also spent a lot of time working with leaders from an organizational development and design perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, generally speaking, Kind of give give your perception on uh, the the virtual work this this paradigm shift and and uh, you know just from a high level what are some of the things you're seeing what are some of the things you're hearing and and what is as they contrast or or complement the you know the, your experience sure so let's start with the word paradigm um, and I do that because um, years ago I was leading a team. In Canada, we were doing a new plant startup, and I talked about how you establish the paradigms in the organization and how those paradigms shift over time for different reasons. And after three days uh, upon exiting the meeting, one manager stopped me and said, I don't know what a paradigm has to do with anything. So I've always assumed it was my accent was a problem. So, you know, I, I always try to tell people the word paradigm means we have a pattern, we have a way of doing things, right? Yeah. So when that paradigm shifts, we all go to zero. We can't look back and say, how did we do it yesterday? Because the way we're gonna do it tomorrow is different. But I think the fundamental premise is you have to start with the work. Yeah. We create organizations to perform work. Some of it's very highly transactional, it's hands-on, it has to be done every day. I call that the core process work. In a manufacturing company, the people that make products, design products and sell products, without them, nothing happens. And then there's the rest of us who are supporting that, and we have work to do in support of that. So when the paradigm shifts and we all go to zero, as happened at the beginning of the pandemic especially, then we have to stop and, and think about our culture and how we manage change. Of course, the biggest issue in managing change is the resistance to change. Mm-hmm. So one thing about a paradigm shift is when that occurs, resistance goes to almost zero because you have to do something, right? So back when the pandemic started, one advantage for Mohawk, I guess, is we have a large, Mohawk has a large business in Italy. And Italy, Italy got hit 
first the hardest, and we watched their response. And their response is, how did they deal with professionals, staff who are working in in an office environment? How did they move that to virtual? And they just built a, they followed their, their cultural norms as building a plan and managing to that plan in a very structured way. So they set a goal every week, X number of people would be moved to working remotely uh, and they had to get all the technology to support it. They had to get all the communication in place. And now they expedited over time because each week they were learning quickly, but they had to get there ahead of the government shutdown because like many companies in Europe, every business was just literally shut down from operating other than virtually. So fortunate for us, we got to learn from that experience. But when that paradigm shifts, you can you can lean on the strengths that you built over time, but the how-to has to be about how to get the work done. Yeah, I think that's a, a good distinction. The, the what is the same, right? If you're, you're manufacturing, you're providing a service, the what does not change, but the how-to um, and, and so talk a little bit about flexibility. Talk a little bit about thinking outside the box and, and coming up with, uh, you know, trying to be inventive. Is that as much of a required uh, to be able to, to uh, respond or is it simply a, is it a collaboration? Is it, what, what do you think the kind of the top two or three skills are needed to be able to respond quickly in this type of paradigm shift? Well, the thing I've seen with with organizations is that the people that have been successful managing change, they utilize the strengths and competencies of their organization. It's not always just what the culture provides, but how have they been successful in the past and looking back into that and working from that experience base. Of course, virtual technology has been around at different levels for a long time. And many people have resisted moving to, you know, there was, we all started early in our careers with conference calls. And of course, that was always interesting scenario. And then Skype came along and some organizations were resistant because worried about data security, information security. Uh, And then Zoom came along and that's really opened it up for not just workplaces, but for any yeah. any organization, any social organization, anyone. Yeah. So we spent a long time uh, in, in in Mohawk. We created a very aggressive uh, population health strategy for our workforce and, and employees and family members. And we kept working with the healthcare community saying, we want to start people contacting you virtually. So can I come virtually to the doctor's office uh, online as opposed to me just having to come to the office for just regular follow-up or triage around certain things? And the healthcare community has been, you know, their paradigm is we've got to protect patient data. There's this law called HIPAA and we can't get around HIPAA. Uh, and then state laws, you know, doctors, um, 
lobbies are pretty strong in some states, and Texas was one of the last states to allow telehealth products to come into existence. Um, but that was all resistance to change. And then the healthcare community says, well, we'd be glad to do it, but what are you going to pay us? Which is a fair question, right? Sure. But we got to solve the reimbursement problem. So virtual technology can enable your, your strategy. Doesn't mean it will, but it can. And you have to manage for it. So how we approach it is we have large locations where we have on-site clinics. So people can physically go to the clinic. Mm -hmm. Then I said, well, I want that same capability for small locations. You couldn't afford to have full-time staff, so we set up a virtual clinic. Or you go in an exam room, an occupational health nurse would support you, and you're talking to a physician or a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant somewhere else in the country. So we started showing that to healthcare entities around Georgia and other places, and they began to embrace it. But the resistance to change was really strong. So you have to think about your customers, your employees, employees that do not want to work from home for lots of different reasons. Um, you have to help them understand how the capability helps the work get done. It's always about the work. So then, and it's not just about, you know, one of the traps we HR people get caught up in is some employees say, I want to work from home all the time. Others say, I don't, I ever want to work from home. And then there's those in between. And so we're not starting off with the decision from an employee relations perspective, but I've always approached it said there are three stakeholders in the business. Yeah. There's customers. Yeah. Without whom you don't have customers, you don't have a business. There's shareholders and owners who own the business and there are employees who do the work. And you have to balance the needs of all three stakeholders. Now, the balance is not always the same, but it's equitable. Right. We used to use this example for new employees in a startup and said, we're going to manage by principles and one of those principles is we're going to balance these three needs. We, we created this thing called a tri-balance. And people said, well, I don't really understand it. Just tell me what the policy is. We said, it's like this. If you come in one day and say, hey, I'm on a 10% raise because I work hard and I think I deserve it. And the question becomes, will the customer pay for it? If the customer won't pay for it, then the shareholders are going to have less return or you're going to perform more work for, for more money or what, but you have to have those discussions. So with this whole notion of working remotely or working from home, I always like to refer to it as working remotely because we know some people don't work from home, but they work remotely. And right. It's okay. Yeah. The question is, can you get the work done? Yeah then once you can make those determinations, then what frequency, it probably should not be 100%, um, but once you determine the frequency, then how you build the organization support system around that becomes the real next question. Right. And so when you have folks that are, you know, uh, 
resistant to that and, and kind of assessing, you know, some of these shifts. Um, uh, I, I always go back to it because of our work with the grade eight and kind of what we, we view as a, a good culture uh, barometer. You know, when we work with organizations, we talk about the grade eight uh, and the vices and the collaboration effect on profits. Um, and of course, you know, that it's applicable to any organization, uh, right? But most of our focus, especially when we get with the, the three wins, financial advisory uh, work that we do, we bring in, that's typically at a smaller, closely held organization, right? They still could have several hundred employees, but still from a management perspective, smaller, closely held organizations. Your experiences with very large organizations, which take on a different culture, right? There's cultures and then the cult, you know, the subcultures in different places are different. Uh, and, and you have to reach over across the, across the pond over to Italy and learn from them and see what works. And so when you, when you get into some of this stuff, how do you talk with these folks who have this culture that's broad and it, and, and it expresses itself in many different ways in these large organizations? How do you talk about culture with them, especially within the, you know, within the, the lens of this shift that's going on with this virtual question? How do you, how do you talk about culture? Um, the way I've typically approached it is not really to talk about culture because it's really very uh, vague and, and everybody has a definition of culture. And mm-hmm. even people within your organization might define the culture uh, differently. Um, but it really, I ask people to give me examples of where you've had to make a significant change and you were successful. How did you do that? And or give me one that wasn't successful and what happened differently there. You know, uh, what's the saying? Everybody likes change. Nobody wants to be changed. So every organization has evolved and and is successful for different reasons in different ways. But because of their success, if they can look back and pull the examples out of how they dealt with things in the past and then use those strengths to create the plan. So the vision is not about working remotely. The vision is about how is our business evolving? And then how does the work get done to help that business continue to grow and develop? And then what work can be done, be done remotely? What can't? And how do you prepare for that? So when you have a natural disaster, mm-hmm. a large operation in Mexico, and you know, uh, in real estate, they show you the 100-year floodplain. Well, this particular time, they got the 100-year flood Never before, and it, you know, it just shut everything down. Everything was underwater, a huge complex, manufacturing complex. But that particular culture was very structured, and people went to work immediately. Employees showed up and spent weeks just cleaning up and getting the building back in shape, getting equipment fixed. But they looked back and say, how do we work every day? And the work's going to be different for several months. How do we take that culture 
or that work habits, if you will. Yeah. And how do we apply to correcting this problem? So the pandemic might be very similar to any other natural disaster. And how do you attack it? I think that really is um I think that really is a, a great perspective and one that uh, applies to any organization, whether it be a smaller organization or a, or a larger organization, is that knowing and being able to pay attention to that change management where you've done something well. And, and it's the same in, in, you know, something Jim said on the other uh, call, which is, you know, it, it's true and similar for you. Um, you know, Jim said, I, the amount of time I've spent in, in, you know, working with these different organizations in my career, he said, nothing, there's nothing that's new. He said, (laughs) you know, this is, this is different than what we've done before, but we've had to respond to things like this. He said, and that's probably the one thing I would want to, you know, encourage everybody to remember. Um, And I think that's what you're talking about here is the same thing as it's, you know, you've had to manage change before, uh, it's different going through this pandemic and the virtual question. It's different, but how did you go through it and think back and reflect and and follow that same recipe? That's really encouraging, I think, especially when you know people may drift into well, well, if we make these changes, it's going to impact something negatively, whether it's culture, whether it's organizational chart, whether. But you still have to manage a change because the change is inevitable. Right. That's right. So I really like the you know the, your perspective on the three different uh, stakeholders and um, and you know when we kind of talk through the uh, you know the different perspectives there I think that you know having those three stakeholders is a, a good way to kind of keep things balanced um, but even within you know you got your owners you've got customers but we even within the employees I think you know, getting into managing them and managing towards what helps them do their job more easily, what, you know, is the how of the work, getting all that work done. Um, So what are some good questions that you would ask folks or you would encourage folks to ask, right? Knowing the right questions to ask and, and walking through that as much as change management, knowing the right questions is a good thing. So kind of walk us through some some good questions for people who may not have been through something like this or may, you know, need some, some extra assistance. Maybe they got too many other fires, you know, kind of going on in the kitchen. What, what are some things that you would encourage folks to think through? Well, I think, uh, first of all, you know, I tell young people that are entering a human resource function. I say, look, the best thing you could do at the beginning of your career is become a first-line manager in your organization because in the future, as your career grows in human resources, you're going to be developing policies for first-line managers to implement. They have less information than you do. They don't always know the reason why or the source of what you're trying to solve. So understand how it has to be Uh, evolved and communicated. But as we develop policies or practices, as we go through this transition, you know, our expectations for managers change and their expectations for their people change. So we have to train our managers, right? 
Well, we have to start with what those new different expectations are. So we have to make sure they know how to communicate to the remote workforce. They know how to collaborate with the remote workforce, how to recognize the remote workforce, because you're not there every day. You can't walk by the office or walk by the cubicle and say, great job. But also, you've got to enable them to influence. Um, I remember as a mentor and, and counseling young people over the years, we talked about how you influence decisions. And it always begins with, well, I'm not really into the organizational politics. Well, that may be, a, may be your preference, but organizations have politics. That's the nature of it. And so if you want to influence decisions, you've got to understand how that works. This isn't a negative thing. It's how it works. So now if you've got a large percentage of your workforce working remotely, how are they going to influence decisions, influence ideas? So employees need some frame of reference, some education, some preparation. And managers have to be sure that that can happen because it's going from face-to-face to remote, to communicating through multiple people, perhaps sometimes. So I think, you know, one of the steps is always start with the work. Uh, when, whenever I was asked to help someone restructure their organization, I would say, look, form follows function. So don't tell me what you want the structure to be. Let's understand the work. Let's start with core process work and then support work, and let's get rid of work that's no longer value added because times change, needs change, whatever. Start with the work. Look back where the strengths of your organization are and how to use those strengths. Mm -hmm. What work can be remote? What can't? Be upfront about that. What frequency for remote? And then develop a change process but it's not about remote remote work. It's about how that becomes an element of your transition to whatever your longer term future state or vision, whichever terminology you prefer, what gets you there, right? Yeah, I think that's a, a really good formula. And, and so just for example, um, you know, the, the, some of the listeners and, and, and you've got different things you're trying to work on and some folks may not have, uh, you know, some of the expertise that they need. Well, what are some processes? What are some things that you could come alongside and help uh, HR leaders as they're trying to go through this process? It may, it may not be just, you know, obviously for the, the virtual work change, it could be one initiative that they're trying to sort through. What are some things that you, you can do, um, from your position to come alongside and help some of the HR folks who may be listening? Well, um, I believe most change is an evolutionary process. Rarely do we do revolutionary well, right? So from an evolutionary perspective, um, um, where I've been able to help leaders in the past is let's stop and let's define where we are. Let's talk to enough people. Let's get enough information, get enough feedback. 
And what's the, what does the current state really look like? And then separate from that, where is it you're trying to take your organization or your business? What's your future state scenario? Some people prefer the word vision. Um, I'm not big on vision statements, but I am big, big on visions. If you can describe what you want it to look like in three to five years, and I have people draw pictures of what you want it to look like and draw pictures of what it's like today. And then where it's really becomes critical is how do we define a process that fits within your organization's culture to change from this current state scenario that's not getting where you want to be to this future state scenario? And how do we build those elements? How do we get people aligned? How do we identify the critical mass for change? How we identify those that are resistant and how we deal with resistance and sometimes, sometimes an individual who will not change, you have to deal with that very differently. Mm. We want everybody to get there, but not everybody always gets there. Yeah, that, that uh, I, I like what you're saying about the vision. We When we sit down and talk about um, especially with these business owners who are, they've not gone through transition personally, especially the ownership transition, right? You do that once, typically, um, if you're a founder, you, you grow the business and you go through that transition one time. Um, but what we like to do is catch them early enough to be able to say, what do you want it to look like? Right. Let's right. that picture. Let's set that vision. And it's really the same process, no matter what, you're trying to accomplish is getting it out of your mind and getting it out of, you know, the space between your ears so that other people can see it. Other people can collaborate around it and assist you in that process of getting there. Uh, and that really is, that really is the critical because if we can't get somebody to express where they want to get to, they'll end up somewhere, but it won't be because they planned it out. It won't be it's just because of whatever kind of happened. Right. right. And I think someone, something that uh, an outsider can do is talk to key leaders mm-hmm. one and then collectively to help paint a picture of how everyone sees the current state and how everyone would see where the organization is headed and look, help develop alignment around that future state. Right, right. So, so what's that, what does that look like? You just kind of, you sit down with the key leaders and kind of talk through with whoever's kind of organizing a project and work through a process of getting everybody's feedback. Describe that a little bit. Well, so there's one-on-one discussions with individuals, there's group discussions, and then it's sitting down providing feedback. Um, I did a, a workshop for a team in India one time and, um, seven or eight key leaders in the room running that business. And uh, one of the techniques I've used is uh, at the end, towards the end of the meeting, um, I would say, okay, everybody take a three by five card and write down one thing that if we don't manage, we're not going to be successful in achieving this vision. And at that particular event, 
all but one card was pointing to the problems with the leader. Ah. And so a two-day session turned into a five-day session, but they got at a much better place, but they had to say it privately, I guess, because nobody knew who said what on the cards, but it caused the conversation to stay in the room. So they finally put the elephant in the room, which I guess is, is indicative of India, put the elephant in the room, it's out there, and my job was to force them to deal with it. Yes. Yeah, it, I think that's one of the key things. It, um, you know, talking about one-on-ones, being able to talk to key leaders, um, there's a certain level of, of objectivity that you bring to the table, a certain level of accountability that you bring to the table. Right. Um, because you're not giving them the answers. They're giving you the answers, but either they spend a bunch of money talking about the problem and don't do anything about it, or they follow through with it because of what they know that they can achieve. And then in the end, it's all about everyone aligned to the direction and aligned and committed to the transition plan and a role I played over time is to come back in periodically and say, okay, you guys said you're going to do X by Y. You haven't gotten there yet. Let's talk about that. You know, I've always used the example. It's like a, a journey. If you're going to go from point A to point B, you can't stop in the middle and not go. Right? You just can't. If that point B was the right place to begin with. But sometimes we get diverted on this journey. Uh, I always think about going from current state to future state as a journey. And if the destination is where you really want to be, you can't stop too long in between and enjoy the scenery. Because you know it's going to be better in this future state that you've imagined. Yeah, that really is that's some key wisdom and um, you know, sometimes you, you work with teams and depending on what it is, and, and we see this a lot with the founder syndrome, um, they, they know every role because they've had to dabble and play every role. And yep. sometimes they can't get out of the way, uh, fast enough or on time. And you've got conflict within the team and everybody kind of knows, and this is not picking on founders. It's just what happens yep. uh, sometimes. And, um, you know, but the, the following some of these steps kind of works them uh, through that. And, and that, that's what, you know, our, our, our goal is to, is to say, hey, how can we increase the value of the firm, right? Because with, the, with, a, with a strong company um, that's valuable, it, it, it's helpful in so many different ways. Hiring more people, uh, helping new and, and different customers. Um, you know, expanding with vendors and uh, in, in, uh, taking care of the, the owners and the, the stakeholders. And so as you can grow the value of a company, you're able to touch so many different areas. Uh, and, th- and we see collaboration as one of the, the uh, main areas to get there. And what you're describing just seems like, hey, people being honest, people being forthright and and respectful in the way they communicate what they're feeling and what they're seeing. Um, and really people who, who have a heart for the best thing. Yeah. 
it's not selfish ambition. It's not me first. It's, Hey, we really, we really think this can be accomplished. What truly and sincerely is standing in the way and managing uh, towards that. Gotcha. So uh, what's the, I, I, I know I have your contact information and we're going to include that in the description of the video, uh, Phil. Um, but so when folks get in touch with you, um, what, what's the, just to, just to kind of listen and hear what they've got going on, uh, yeah. manage, manage towards, uh, you know, kind of working on a, a project that could be helpful to them in accomplishing what they're doing. Uh, and ob- honestly, for those who are listening, obviously, this is not just to focus on virtual work. Uh, of course, Phil, you have uh, expertise in, in being able to manage that particular type of change. Um, but really managing uh, various types of change and the process to go through, helping uh, helping our audience ask the right questions, understand what they're good at, understand where they found success before, and really looking at that vision is uh, all all encompassing in your process and in the way you work with them. Um, so leave us with one last nugget. Uh, it could be, you know, something that's a, that's applies to a current event. It can be something that um, it, it, you, you've kind of left, you kind of put a lot of really good nuggets on the table already. But what's one thing that right now for an HR leader, what's the one thing that's jumping off the page to you based on what people are going through right now that you would encourage folks to remember and hold on to? Well, I would say right now, um, we're all being challenged to resolve this work remotely question. And as I've said multiple times in this conversation, go back to what the business needs, what the work is, and then use technology, whether it's working remotely or other forms of technology to help support people and better accomplishing the work that has to be done. But don't get caught in the trap of, it's being just on the employer relations question, because it's not, but in reality, people entering the workforce today have certain expectations around technology and how it's used and how they get work done. You have to be aware of that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, to me, it's, it's been, you know, unreal what you can get done on a, on a mobile phone, all the different things and just responding to that. And I do, uh, I'll close with this. I, I talked the other day, uh, with my dad, bless his heart. I think he, he has a smartphone, but, uh, I think he would prefer a flip phone. And, you know, you're talking about virtually and all these different things. And, and, uh, he said, you mean if I push that button right there, I can see my grandkids on the phone, you know, talking about FaceTime. And I said, yeah, and it almost, you know, it's all the time that we do it now. And so it's just that, you know, just a fun little example of, of opening up the, the different uh, ways of doing things that you want to do and that are good for what you're about. Opening up to those types of things and letting that carry you forward and, and accomplish things that you really want to accomplish in a different yeah, way. So, you know, it's uh there are multiple generations in the workforce. And so yeah. when the pandemic started and our church shut down, except worship services uh, online and yeah. 
YouTube and so forth. I talked to our Sunday school teacher and I said, hey, look, we can do Zoom calls. Uh, I don't know. Our class is older. I said, well, look, <laughs> not rocket science here. We're not, uh, yeah. you know, we're not curing cancer. And I have to tell you, there are people uh, all ages who are, were dialing in once a week. Yeah. And um, some in their 80s know how to make the call. So it's there. It's there. It's there. And it's a good thing. And and I think, that, you know, being wise about it and being cautious, especially where you need to be and, but not using that as an excuse not to move forward with it. And oh, um, that's right. That's right. We, encourage, we encourage the audience, we encourage the, the people working in that direction to uh, expand in that and, and to really investigate what, what things can help you do. Like you said, what's the work and how do you do it better? Uh, and so thank you for uh, these, these, Great, uh, timeless truths and your perspective, uh, sharing some of your uh, background and your experience and some of the things you've been through. Uh, and uh, we look forward to hearing about some of the projects you work on. And uh, we encourage anybody listening to, to make sure you reach out to Phil and connect with Phil. Um, it'll be, a, uh, it'll be a, a great uh, outcome as you work with him and, and, uh, and, and allow him to kind of look in and see what's going on in your organization and help you improve uh, what y'all are about in your organization. So thank you again, Phil. Appreciate the conversation and uh, looks forward to the next time we're able to be on the podcast together. Well, Russ, thank you. And thank Legacy Partners. And I look forward to helping anybody we can. Thank you. Have a good day. Great. Thanks, Bill. Thank you for listening to the Three Wins Podcast. We have links to some awesome resources in the show notes. And if you haven't already done so, please click subscribe so you won't miss any future episodes of the Three Wins Podcast. This is Sean Lydon signing off for now. Until next time, we'll see you then.